Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So, well, glad you guys are here. Uh, there's a lot of choices to go to, so I won't, you know, if you like, all of a sudden you feel like, no, this is the wrong place for me, I won't be offended. Like, if you want to uh, come into a, you know, hit, hit another spot. So, but we're going to be talking about the making of a leader, obviously. Now, that's a kind of a broad title. So I want to just really explain a little bit, just so you have the context of what we'll be shooting at. This is based off of the work of uh, uh, Robert Clinton, who is a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. And he did a study, both from the Bible and Christian history, of 5,000 different Christian leaders. And so what he found out was, there's a pattern. That there's a plan that God uses, there's a commonality in how God develops a leader over their lifetime. So um, I know we're used to thinking about it in terms of an individual plan, and there is that, but there's also this overarching plan that he saw, both, again, in the scriptures and, and in history. And what he found was the more we lean into that plan, um, the better servants of God we can be because we're fulfilling the call he has for us and not confusing it with our own desires or what other people are telling us we should do. And the more crystal clear we are on what God has for us, and the more we lean into that, the more effective we can be for him. Does that make sense? Yes. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about his, uh, he calls it an emergence leadership theory. So we're going to kind of lay that out, talk about it, and we will not be able to cover it all today because it's quite extensive. Um, but we're going to hit some high points and give you some things to think about um, regarding this. And... Um, and, and hopefully, you know, we'll make room for God to speak to us through it. I, I was interested that, like, um, from the main session, I, I, I'm misspelling Andrew's last name because I can't get that accent that's supposed to be there on my computer. But he said in the first session something that really speaks to what we're going to talk about today. There's tremendous value in knowing where you are and when you are in ministry. I don't know if you remember he said that. And so... That is exactly what we're talking about in this session. Um, and that's exactly what the making of a leader is about, is understanding where you are. I'm, just, I'm sorry to interrupt. Please. Did, you, did you speak on this at the leadership? I did. Okay. Do you yes. mind if I... Yeah, right. Okay. You heard some of this already. <laughs> yes. Familiar. Yes. Yes. No, I'm glad you heard that. <laughs> it was really good, by the way. Excellent. <laughs> Which, by the way, the ladies in the room, this, um, if you're interested, that leadership cohort that she just referred to, she was in the first one, and Gina's running another one in the fall. We'll be doing a full day uh, on this uh, for uh, the women credential holders that are in that cohort. Um, and so that's, as you can see, like if we're doing a full day at that, we can't do that in two hours. So, but, but you get the idea of how much there is here. So there is, this is amazing value. When you, I don't know if you remember when Andrew said this or when he said it, what, what stood out to you about that statement, when you heard him say it or when you hear me repeat it, what, what comes to your mind? Why is that true? Because uh, you don't want to hold on to something that God's moving you out of Yeah. if it's not where he wants you. And sometimes we do, right? <clears throat> sometimes, and in fact, there's a stage in the leadership development of a leader later on where you can't actually move to the later stages of ministry, which he calls convergence, unless you let go and then you're willing to leave something that you're probably very comfortable in, that you will not get to where you need to be if you don't have that understanding of what you just said. Yeah. And many people don't. What else stands out to you? Yeah. 
being aware where you are so you can make goals and plans according to the location and being aware of what phase you are in yeah. the industry. That's really important. Otherwise, it'd be like making plans to go to the ocean and you live in Nebraska. It's probably not going to happen, right? But I think sometimes we do that because we don't realize where we are, where we're at. So our plans need to match where we're where we're at. Very important. Yeah, Paul. There's different gifts and abilities at different times. Yeah. So you know, if you're at the beginning of your leadership track. You have to be aware of the fact that you don't have all the answers. And, yes. And later on, you know how to use what you've what you've gained. Absolutely. Because a lot of younger leaders will beat themselves up because they don't know certain things yet, or they failed in certain ways yet. And they think that much like you heard Gordon McDonald say in his story, maybe I can't do this. Right. But they, they're expecting too much because they don't realize where they're at on God's timeline of development. We kind of expect the minute we graduate or get our credential, we should have it all. That's not how it works. And we beat ourselves up quite a bit. Um, and we lose a lot of ministers for this reason. I have, with this material, I have two big burdens. One is the younger minister, because they give up too quick. And so some of this material really speaks to them. The other is the older minister that doesn't realize God has prepared them their entire ministry for what comes in their 50s and 60s and 70s. And that's true. That's what Robert Clinton found. And it's because they don't know how to pivot toward that that they lose the most effective time in their ministry. So, like, I have, so, so honestly, that's like two, maybe because I'm getting, I'm in that 50. <laughs> but I have a burden both ways about that. So that's why when Andrew said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so true. You know, so true. Um, so, um, could someone read this, this passage to us from, uh, from Matthew chapter 20. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of, of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so one of the things i want to pull out of here just to highlight is that christian leadership is different than leadership in general there are some overlapping things but there are some differences isn't that what jesus is saying you lead as a christian different than people in the world now, i'm not saying you can't you can learn some you can i believe that but there's a there's a qualitative difference and the difference actually has to do with who you are, not what you do. Because if, if you're going to live like this, you have to be a certain way in here. Would you agree with me? Um, if you think that you're a servant, just think about what your reaction was the last time someone treated you like one. You can't do who you are not. And so this is going to be a fundamental piece in, in this work is the work of a the making of a leader means God has to spend decades working on you to make you a certain type of person so you can do what he's calling you to do. And the reason many times we are not effective in doing work for God is we're not first being who we need to be with God. You can't do certain things unless you are a certain way. 
You, you can't live this unless you have it in here. Would you agree with me? If you, have you ever tried to be a servant, but your heart wasn't in it? <laughs> this doesn't work, does it? So, so God will spend decades working to make you a certain way in here. When we think the important thing is what we do out here, it's not. It's here that matters. And it takes a long time to learn that. It's easy to say amen to it and say, yeah, that's true, until you're the one that God puts the spotlight on. So, um, so, so it's releasing our plans for ministry and picking up God's plans, which are different. They're different than the world. They're different than ours, and they have to do with who we are. I don't know if you heard of the old, old story when you used to, um, someone, you'd mail in places and they'd send you plans that you could build stuff, you know, and so some guy wanted to build, uh, he did one of those things and he wanted to build, um, he wanted to, to build a birdhouse. So instead of sending him plans for a birdhouse, they sent him plans for a sailboat. So the whole time he's building this thing, he's like, what kind of stupid bird would live in this? You know, because it's not looking like a birdhouse. So he writes the company when he's done and explains the situation. And they write back and apologize. And then they add this little postscript. If you think it was difficult for you, you should have seen the guy who got your plans trying to sail a birdhouse. Some of us are trying to do ministry sailing a birdhouse. Because God has a different set of plans in mind than what we're using. We're thinking success, outward ministry, what I do. God's thinking, nope, who you are. And we, and we don't even realize it. And we don't even realize that because our culture, we soak in from our culture things in ways that, like, we define worldliness a lot as, like, oh, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with women that do, right? But worldliness sometimes comes in other more subtle ways as well, which is, like, success is measured by numbers. That's an American value. Didn't we just hear uh, Eli say Jesus decided to leave ministry to the multitude to minister to the few? Oh, that's not American. <laughs> Would you agree? That, that's not how you get invited to be a conference speaker. So, but that's very worldly because it's American culture. We think American culture, bigger is better, more is better. Jesus had the vision to think small. We don't. And so God will spend his whole, most of your ministry whittling you down <laughs> until you see it the way he sees it. Because then, finally, you can do what he's called you to do. Um, so um, that's, that's the making of a leader that I want to talk about. Um, and it's so important. Like, God needs, God wants to use you. I mean, he could do it without you. But he wants to use you, and he wants to prepare you for that process. Now, Robert Clinton's definition of leadership is this. Leadership is a dynamic process in which a man or woman with God-given capacity and God-given responsibility influences a specific group of God's people towards God's purpose for that group. What stands out to you about that definition? God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, he's, it's his, like, all the way. Totally. Now, some, we know this theologically, right? But then somehow we get out in the trenches and we forget it. Um, but if you think about it, like, the inputs are all God. God gives you the capacity. God gives you the responsibility. The outputs are all God. God's people's the focus, not you, by the way. You're to serve them. 
and God's purposes. It's all about him, first to last. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You're not. My wife uh, has a t-shirt she likes to wear. There is a God and you're not him. (laughs) But that's something we need to remind ourselves all the time. So now here's some principles that Clinton lays out that are critical. And and sometimes we don't realize. Leadership is hard. Have you heard that in today? Have you heard that? Leadership is hard. Um, Clinton found in his study of 5,000 Christian leaders, two-thirds do not finish well. That's staggering. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm going to finish well. But when I hear that 66% of leaders don't finish well, and what he means by finishing well, it, it could mean anything from a moral failure, which that can ha- we all know that can happen, to you not reaching your God-given potential That's right. and you falling short. So if you add those together, what he thinks is it's two-thirds that, that, um, that fall into that category, which is, which is really scary. Um, now, it, just to remind you how hard ministry can be and why we need to lean into God and do what he wants us to do, you know, when pastors and ministry leaders enter the ministry, they usually expect to be successful. Research indicates that ministry leaders are among the most frustrated and stressed out group of professionals. Forty percent have had an extramarital affair since entering the ministry. Fifty percent of spouses feel their spouse entered the ministry was destructive to their families. Fifty percent of marriages end in divorce. Fifty-seven say they would leave the ministry if they could. A lot of them are trapped because it's the only skill they have and they're already dead on the inside. 70% don't have a close friend, confidant, or mentor. 71% continually battle depression. 77% feel they don't have a good marriage. 80% of them spend less than 15 minutes per day seeking God. But you know the ministry could do that to you. I had a wonderful devotional life when I went to college and college in Hanson and Bible School. And then I got out and took a ministry position. And it crushed because of all the stuff I had was asked to do. And I, I turned around one day, I don't know if some of you are like this, in my first ministry position, and I said, man, I have learned a lot of skills in these last few years, but I have not grown in my relationship with God at all. You ever had that? like dawning revelation in ministry? Yeah. 80% of adult children of pastors have sought professional help for depression. 80% of seminary graduates will leave the ministry within the first five years. Could you move that microphone for me? Yeah, since it's like absolutely useless and it's not doing anything. (laughs) Absolutely. Um. 80% feel discouraged in their role. 85% of their spouses. 90% report feeling frequently fatigued on a daily basis. 90% say their training inadequately prepared them for the reality of ministry. Like, I would be in that. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I feel like school prepared me for a world that no longer existed. (laughs) And then when I went to plant a church, it was doubly true. I was adequately prepared in Bible school to minister in a church in the 50s. <laughs> but I was born in the 60s. 
100% say they have a close associate who left the ministry because of burnout, church conflict, or moral failure. I bet if we ask every single person in this room, you know someone who fits that category. 1,500 leave the ministry every month in the United States. 38% of Protestant pastors seriously considered leaving the ministry. That was in October of 2021, compared to 29% in January of 2021, 10 months later. There's this thing called a pandemic. Yeah. Is the 1500, is that, at, is that post-pandemic or is that? No, that, that uh, pre. It's probably increased. A lot. There's like a couple hundred thousand churches. Like, there's so. also a lot less. And now there's a lot less. Yes. But if you wonder the sources, Focus on the Family, uh, Barna, Campus Crusade for Christ, Schaefer Institute, all of those are the sources for all of us. Yeah. I'm like the 9% about the hardest thing about is trying to... Oh, I forgot that one. I'm sorry. I saw that. I'm coming back to that in a second, but I skipped over. Thank you for mentioning that. 90% say the hardest thing. Yes, right? And talk about things that we were not prepared for. We have all these theology classes, all of these Bible classes. Like, I don't know about you, but I was ready to defend the Trinity should anybody ever ask me. sure that's really ever happened that much but I had no classes in how to manage conflict between people and yet what do we deal with half of our job at least is people no wonder we're so stressed out we get thrown into situations that we were not prepared for um, so um, it, I think our superintendent said this <laughs> yesterday right the call is easy, the assignment is hard. So the, the stats back it up. You, that, that's just the way it is. So look, leadership is hard. Two thirds don't finish well. Okay, that's one of the principles you have to grasp and understand that the Clinton walks through. Number two is that God develops a leader over a lifetime. He has a leadership plan for you that spans your entire lifetime. That's what he has in view. Unfortunately, our view is usually a little bit shorter. His view, like Abraham, right? I'm going to give you a son. Mm. Ten years later. <laughs> wow. 25. Uh, right, or, right. Or Moses. Yeah. 40 years, in the, 40 years in the backside of the desert is perfect training. Mm. Um, we don't think like that, do we? Yeah. Paul spent three years in Arabia before he did anything after he came to Christ. By himself with God. But we're so pressured in our society to do, produce. But if you, don't, if you don't form properly, you won't produce anything of any value. All disciples, all leaders are disciples. So it's so critical, spiritual formation, and you being a follower of Christ yourself is so critical. You won't be able to lead effectively long-term without that. You just can't. In fact, you can't make disciples if you aren't one. You can only produce who you are. You can't. You can't reproduce something you're not. So if you're like, oh, I want to make disciples after hearing all that, okay, well, why don't you be a disciple first? Because <laughs> everyone, when he is fully taught, will be like his teacher. So God sovereignly uses people, circumstances, and ministry assignments to shape the life of a leader. So this is a lot of what, what his leadership profile is about, is understanding how God uses that. It's not just random things that happen to you you know, to tick you off or make your life miserable. God's actually using all of these things to shape you on purpose. And it's that mindset that's so important to change how we think about the problems we're going through. 
somehow, again, we've bought the American culture lie that life is supposed to be easy. Like that's the norm, like that's what we think, right? In our culture, it's supposed to be comfortable and easy, that's the norm. Anytime it varies from that, it's abnormal. Yeah. Isn't that what most Americans think? Mm -hmm. So we get that, and so we think that's what ministry is gonna be like, mm -hmm. right? It should be easy and normal, and without problems, we think the problems are the abnormalities. Mm -hmm. No, we got it wrong, no, no, the problems are normal. <laughs> The problems are the normal part. That's what's supposed to happen. Remember, the Bible talks us about this, but we forget it. Like, like, why do you consider these fiery trials as if something unusual were happening to you? Because we've been influenced by our culture. Leadership Emergence Theory, simplified. <laughs> um, so what he found is that there are four phases of ministry historically, in the Bible and historically that God takes leaders through. And so there's uh, what he calls, and there's subsets, as you can see. There's the phases, then there's the subsets A, B, and C, in some cases C, and then there's the barriers B1, B2, B3. So as they studied this, they found, like I said, biblically and historically, there were these common phases that people went through. There's ministry foundations, there's general ministry, there's focused ministry, and convergent ministry. And this is the part you really want to get to, right here, but most people don't. Most people don't even get here. They usually plateau about here, which means they never reach the potential God has for them, or recognize how he's working um, to bring that about. Um, one of the authors I've been reading recently is a, a Quaker author, and John Kelly writes this. He says, you have to learn to live life in a passive voice. The parentheses that come after that is a saying hard for Americans. Because we like to be active. We like to do things. And when he says passive voice, it's recognizing that God's the one who's the active one, not you. God's the one making you. You don't make you. You can't make you. Try. Only he can do it. So most of all, I think when you get to this part of ministry, it's learning to live with a passive voice. Like, what are you doing, God? What do you want me to do? What, what do you have? What, and that, that attitude of submission. So here's the thing. You can either cooperate with God as he works on us in these phases, which will lead to growth in character, maturity, and effectiveness, or you can resist God and stagnate your growth and development as a leader. The choice is yours. I know it's obvious which one we should choose, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but we often don't because God's plan deviates from what we thought it was going to be. And that's when we struggle, the Isaiah 55, 8 thing. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And it's easy to quote that, hard to live it. So 
And then understanding the phases and what God does in each phase can help us consciously cooperate with God as he develops us for his glory. That's what we want to work toward, is if you can understand that what you're going through is normal, like, like the Bible tells us, it's part of God's development plan, then you can lean into God in those moments and not just you know, you know, be frustrated. So yes, sir. I, I, I found uh, Psalm 46 10 is really good for that. Yep. In COVID, be still. A, a classic example. You know, be still and know that I'm yep. God. It goes on and says, I'll be exalted in all the earth. I'll be praised by every nation. You know what? And, yep. and, and, you know, if you try to force that, like COVID, you couldn't force it. No. And then, you know, the end result, right? But God making all things work together for good in his time. Yeah. Which is very frustrating to me. Very frustrating, yeah. yeah. In life, we, as ministers and leaders, we have it in two ways. We have it in our own individual life, but then we have it in leadership, too. And so, sometimes I think we have a greater sense of being able to do this with God in our individual life than we do in our leadership life. Wow. I don't know. But I think we struggle with that more than... And it's a level that your people don't understand because they're not leaders. So if you're not a leader, you're not really on this, this, this plan. God has another plan for you that's about your own personal life and all that, but it's going to be a little bit simplified <laughs> compared to this because God has plans for you in leadership. And that means it's going to be harder for you because he's got to shape you into the person he wants you to be. And it's more critical because you impact other people. And so it's more critical for the kingdom, Dave. So is there a place in, where he talks about evaluating yourself? Yes. To see if you've diverse? Oh, yes. Yeah. We, this is just the big, this is the 30,000 foot view. So I'm going to get into that. Uh, not all of it, because it's too. It, there's too much. But yes, yes, there's a lot within this work that, like, to really do it, you have to take some time to even journal and think and process and maybe even talk through with someone and think to really allow God some space to open up. Depending on where you fall on this scale will depend on what he needs to do with you in that moment. And so it's understanding that and kind of leaning into that is, is kind of the important thing. But it, it ha really has to do with surrender. Um, there was a, a, a missionary to the Philippines who said uh, in his journal in January 20, 1930, submission is the first and last duty of man. This is what is needed in my Christian life. Um, I always wonder what happened just before Frank Laubaugh wrote that. <laughs> I bet it was him and God having quite the conversation. Um, but he came to the place of realizing as a missionary, his first and last duty was submission to God. Not my will, but your will be done. And that's, that's not easy. I mean, I, I, I've heard this in language of, of, of even leaders <clears throat> saying like, oh, if they got stuck in the position they were at right now and they couldn't move on from there, they would be unhappy and frustrated, right? Because they weren't able to fulfill the dreams that they had. And might I suggest that you should surrender instead? That part of what has to die is your own vision for your life and your ministry? <laughs> and that's really hard. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've had places in my life where I've felt 
incredibly not happy and fulfilled in a particular position I was in, and yet it wasn't feel like God was opening any door, and he brought me to the place that I had to say, God, if you keep me here the rest of my ministry, serving in this church and in this location and this place, so be it. But until he breaks you, you're of no use to him. In fact, you're only going to get in the way. If you're not, it, it, the only good ministers are the broken ones. Because you're too full of yourself and your dreams, right, um, to be of any good at all. And so part of the process, especially when you get into here, is about that breaking, which is why it hurts so much. So I, I, could, I could talk about that forever. I don't want to get lost there. i got to watch the clock. So in ministry foundations, this typically, um, now this, the years can change. It depends. This years are like on someone who, let's say, goes into ministry right out of high school and stuff like that. But it's understanding that God begins the work in you to shape you and your character and personality before he ever called you. And so the first thing that we do with people who, like, really want to dive into this is reflect on that. Like, go back and really think about what are some of the things that God sovereignly put into the foundation of your life. Um, and, um, and then usually there's a leadership transition, um, a time in which first steps in ministry are taken. A first part-time position, a, a first, you know, even if it's unpaid, but something where now you're the leader of something. So these are the two things in phase one that usually happen. Um, and so... The things to think about, and it, um, that we, when we work through people, when we do it with the leadership cohort, with the women, and in other places, is we ask them, like, what key events did God use when you were growing up to prepare you for ministry leadership? And to take that before God in prayer. Because, like, it was no surprise to him that he called you to ministry. <laughs> so that means he put things in your life already way back right. then. And by the way, good things and bad things. Right? Like, mark your book and the nightmare. And God uses sovereignly everything in our life. So sometimes we just think, oh, no, what are the good things? No, 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 what are the bad things? Um, and, and really taking that to God in prayer. And then what did you learn about yourself following God that would help you be a better leader later? So as you had to follow God through those early years, what did you learn? And it's kind of going back reflectively and praying about that and, and really think it. Because the thing is, here's the thing. God has a plan. And guess what? It all fits together. And so some of the keys to what that plan are are buried in your adolescent years. They are. And so you have to go back. And God doesn't do anything by accident. So it's reflecting on those things. So when I did this, this is some of the things that came up in my story as I did this. I grew up Catholic as a statement of my mom's reaction to her parents' legalistic faith. She wanted to like kind of give it to her parents, and she knew her parents hated Catholics, so that's why I got raised Catholic. That's the truth. I was introduced to a personal relationship with Jesus through the invites of neighbors in two different locations to two different types of churches, Baptist and Pentecostal. I learned I was a good student with a talent for memorization. I found affirmation in good grades. I used memory skills to memorize scripture. I learned I enjoyed acting and participated in church and school plays. Memory skills helped here too. Dealing with my father's alcoholism led to insecurity and perfectionistic tendencies to cover them. 
um, I realized that I was, uh, I, I was using perfectionism to cover shame. That there was shame over who my dad was and the home I grew up in. And if I could just be perfect, you know, the shame would go away. There's a problem with that formula, you know, right? That's right. <laughs> you can't be perfect. Um, I grew up as an only child and was isolated from cousins due to issues between my father and his sister. It led to insecurity in relationships, so good and bad. Now, what, what, what can you discern, can I discern prayerfully about that? Well, um, leadership principle learning. I learned I was gifted as a good student, so part of what God's plan for me is, like, he doesn't do that accident. Oh, I'll just make him a good student. There's something in there <laughs> that he wants to build on. I learned I could leverage men memory skills to succeed academically and learn about God. I learned to lean on God as an adolescent out of my need, and I really did, because like I, I could not handle the home I grew up in. And that's a skill of that utter dependence on God that he started to teach me then that I need to lean on over and over and over again in my life. I learned to hide out of shame as a child, being a child of an alcoholic. Now he can use that because there's a lot of people that hide out shame. And God's actually used this in my own life. I, when I tell those stories, I can identify with children of alcoholics. I can identify with alcoholics. I can, the, he pulls, you know, he pulls that back and you, it's part of his plan and purpose. But if I'm going to hide that, here's the thing about shame. Like if I cover over that and I'm willing to talk about it, guess what? He can't use it. He can't redeem it. He can't redeem what I'm going to pretend doesn't exist. I struggled to form relationships, and that's, that's true. And so like that, that's like something I've had to, to work with and, and God needed to redeem. And I formed a legalistic faith. I did as an adolescent and even going into uh, college. And it was only maybe in the years of 20-something that, that I dealt with that and that God did something. But you know what? That's helped me deal with other people that have a legalistic faith. So God can redeem all of those things. So you have that too. What does that look like? For you, um, those are the kind of the questions you can ask to get to that. So, the other thing is God's going to take you through uh, in the in the ministry foundations section three different types of checks. Now, this is because this is what He does historically. This is what He's done with leaders throughout history. There's and this is what Clinton finds out. There are integrity checks, obedience checks, and word checks. Now, an integrity check is a test God uses to evaluate your intention so as to show character. Um, are you going to act with integrity? So every leader they looked at, those kind of issues came up early on. Why do you think God works on that? Why is that one of the things he works on in the very beginning? It's a good foundation. Foundation, yeah. Is that what you going to say? How many leaders you know don't finish well and it's because of character? What's that? <laughs> Two-thirds, yeah. Yeah, or like... Look at, okay, we'll talk about giftedness later on, but character is more important than giftedness. Mm -hmm. yeah. But we don't really think that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't really think that. We don't celebrate it. <laughs> we don't, yeah, we don't celebrate character. We celebrate giftedness. Yeah. But if you don't have character underneath it, it's a crash and burn situation. Yeah. And, and I think a little bit maybe uh, like it kind of exposes your humility in yeah. a sense. You know, like when you know you failed, 
like you kind of have to realize the person you are a little bit. Yeah, maybe. you do, right? That's, and that's good because we need to like realize we need to be humbled. <laughs> Going back to that passage we started with, right? Dave, were you going to say something? Well, the end justifies the mean we can fall into that. Truth. Yes. And that can start out gradually, then get a little more uh, emphasized. Yeah. Justifies me well, and I'll work better. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But you know, and and this is, I mean, Paul talks about this with Timothy, like, hey, don't, don't, don't allow someone who's new in the faith to be in a leadership position. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the, we they're going to be tempted. Oh, just say culturally in ministry, that's what we do, though, don't we? Yes. We we look for talent. Yes. And we look for gifts. Yes. And uh, we rush that to the front. Yes. Uh, that's probably a flaw we should think about. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, Pete. Yeah. Uh, it says one of my favorite proverbs says, "The righteous man walks in his integrity; his children are blessed after him." So that what that says to me is it's long range. It is right. right. Integrity is. So what you'll find is there's going to be, you'll have those kind of checks early on in your life that you can identify. And, um, and, and if you're developing leaders, it's important to realize you need to also, character is something you've got to think about. And we don't often think first about character, but actually, if you look at how God develops a leader, this is actually one of the first things he works on. But for us, it's an afterthought. <laughs> then there's obedience checks that'll often come. Like a, a pro- this is a process item where the leader learns to recognize and understand and obey God's voice. So early on in ministry, there's going to be times where God calls people to do certain things. Are they going to obey? Now that's a critical skill for ministry, right? Because if you don't learn to do it then, you're never going to do it later. And then you're just going to kind of go on autopilot, and you'll never really reach that like place that God wants you to reach if you don't if you don't do that. It's um, and then word checks. This is uh, test the leader's ability to understand and receive a word from God, and then let that word be worked out in their life. And often this is combined with the first two, because the word is given in one of those two areas. So it's really important that we be able to hear from God and to discern his voice from our own voice. And so early on in a ministry foundation setting, when you first like get into ministry, you're going to find that God's going to test that. Because it's, it's super important. Um, and so, you know, we have to think about that in our own life. Like, like, how did God do that? And then we have to think about when we're developing other people, we need to think about develop, helping them develop that and hear from God. So again, why do you think these two are, are in this, so commonly in like ministry development of leaders from the very beginning? What two? The uh, obedience checks and word checks. If you don't have these early, you're gonna fall on them later for sure. Yeah. You, you, you're not gonna develop them later. Yeah, that, and that's a key point. I'm glad you said that, Paul. These don't get developed later. No. Because fa- once the foundation's set, you, you, can't, you don't go back and rebuild it. Don't you think that those are going to be developed for the rest of your life? In some ways they are, but if there's deep flaws here, it's almost, they're going to show up. They're going to, and, and, and if there's a crack in the foundation, you might be able to mitigate it, but eventually it, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, it's like salt, right? When yeah. He was 
God told him very specifically what to do, and he was like, oh, yeah, I know God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he does, you know, yeah, obedience is better than sacrifice. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you're right, in the, uh, going back to the before, like, he is going to continue to work on these things, but, oh, throughout our whole life, but they're critical that we get these right in the beginning because they could side rail everything. And I think the other thing to recognize is if you're just starting out in ministry, realize these are important. <laughs> like that the task you're being asked to do is not what's important. This is what's important. Learning to, to be a person of integrity, learning to obey God, learning to hear from God. It doesn't matter what you get asked to do. That it, irrelevant. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not the, do you get that? That's not the important thing. Oh, I got to preach on Sunday. Who cares? Did you steal someone else's sermon when you preached and you didn't give credit? That's what's important. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So, like, that development work of God's sovereignty in Jeremiah, he has that for you, too. So it's like realizing that, like, in your background and in the beginning years, and just realizing, too, like, if you're a younger minister, like, hey, how you do these things is important. The ministry assignment is not important at that moment. Who you are is what's important. And so just don't, don't get lost in, the, in the, what our culture says is important. Who you are and God's forming you is important. And, and you being a person of integrity and in character and obeying God and hearing his voice in those beginning steps, that's the most important thing. And so, you know, again, I said my, one of my burdens for younger ministers is helping them realize that. Don't get lost. They get lost in the task. They get lost in the, oh, I got to do this. And I got, that's not what's important. <laughs> What's important is what God's doing in here. Are you listening to him? Can you discern his voice? Can you, can you obey? That's what he wants to teach you. Don't get lost in the glamour and the glitz of the stuff. And we do. Okay, so that's really important. So um, we could talk more about that. We could talk about the barrier, um, but we won't. <laughs> so, um, which is like, there's a barrier about like, getting into like full-time ministry or getting into a position. So we're not gonna, we're not gonna talk about that. We don't have time to get into that part. But um, before we go on to this phase, I wanna say this about the character stuff and foundation. Helen Keller said this, character can, cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. <laughs> So it doesn't happen in, in the quiet. Um, so now, um, phase two, once you get past the foundations, you're moving now into a place where maybe you have a ministry position, um, paid or unpaid, but it's a little bit more established and all that kind of stuff. So 
uh, in these years, which this whole phase, if you do the math, you know, two to six years, six to eight years, two to six years, you get the idea of the kind of time frame you're talking about. Normally, at least 10 years, you know, potentially 20 years. So this is the first 10 to 20 years of ministry that we're talking about. Um, this is when we lose a lot of ministers. Right here. Um, usually, like, it's about half in the first five and then another half in the next five. That's statistically what happens. So it's, it's in these phases, A, B, and C, of general ministry that we lose a lot of our ministers. And that, that's, tra we, we can't afford to do that anymore. <laughs> okay, we, we just can't as a, as a movement. Yeah. We cannot afford to do that anymore. So we have to understand what's going on in these phases, what God is doing, and help people to have a proper understanding of that. Um, and it's really important um, for their development and to lean into what God is doing. Charles Simpson said this, I met a young man not long ago who dives for exotic fish for aquarium. And he said one of the most popular aquarium fish is the shark. And he said if, if you catch a shark when it's small and you can find it, it'll stay the size proportionate to the aquarium. Sharks can be six inches long, yet fully mature. But when you turn them loose in the ocean, they grow to their normal length of eight feet. That also happens to some Christians. I've seen the cutest little six-inch Christians who swim around in a little puddle. But if you put them into a larger arena, into the whole creation, only then can they become what they were meant to be. That's what general ministry phase is about. It's about God stretching you so that he can begin to grow you to what he has for you. And he's going to do that by um, putting you in different situations that are going to require growth <laughs> and challenge. Um, so there's three areas that you, this comes up in. One is uh, usually in a provisional ministry where, okay, the first attempts at full-time ministry assignments, it's provisional because it may not last. Again, that, that first five years is really critical. I got a guy coming back to my church who's um, son of one of my board members. He didn't, he, he didn't make it past five years. He's incredibly talented. Um, and it has to do with something that comes, you know, in, in here that we'll talk about, um, that he didn't navigate it properly. And it's a shame because he's amazingly talented. Um, so growth ministry is where you're, this next section, uh, where you're utilizing known giftedness with efficiency, giftedness and role issues are learned. This subphase is more for developing the leader uh, than the ministry which is accomplished. Again, spiritual formation, ministry formation, strategic formation of the leader is in focus. We get that out of focus all the time, but it's not about what we do, it's about who we are, and God's wanting to help us understand that. Because th this, doing this well, like understanding how God's gifted you and your giftedness mix, this is what, you won't be able to reach convergence if you don't get a handle on this. You won't. You won't have focused ministry you'll have very unfocused ministry. Because God has gifted you a certain way for a certain thing. If you don't understand that, you won't be able to see the thing. And so it's super important. And then competent ministry, operating out of giftedness and the roles that fit giftedness, produces excellent results. Um, 
still to be determined is the influence mix profile, which we'll talk about in a, in a bit. And then B is um, the strategic barrier. So the big thing that we'll talk about in just a second uh, to move you from general ministry to focus ministry is understanding that it's not what you do, it's who you are. If you don't get that and live it out, not just say it with your mouth, you won't get here. You won't. You can't. Um, you won't get there. So, all right. So, in the general minister phase, in like 2A, um, there's ministry tasks. So what will happen is God will give ministry assignments. Remember, Nick was talking about the assignments yesterday. And why does he do that? To test faithfulness and obedience, to use giftedness that has a beginning and an end, accountability and evaluation. So those tasks you get, it's actually not about the task. It's about you. Yeah. <laughs> it's about you. Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to be obedient? Um, are you going to be accountable? Are, are, are you willing to let that be evaluated? You know, that, that's what's important. Um, and then there's the ministry challenge phase, which will the leader follow God's prompting to a new assignment? This is important because you're going to come back to this later on here, because if you don't learn to leave behind the comfortable to obey God in his next calling, you won't ever get here. You won't. You'll stay where it's comfortable, where you know what it's like. That's not, you got to learn to not do that. <laughs> you got to learn to be Abraham. And when he says, go to the land, I will show you. And when you get there, I'll let you know. If you can't do that, you won't get here. You certainly won't get here. Um, you just won't do it. You heard that even in the, you know, all the stories. Think of Gordon McDonald's story even today. You heard that. Um, even you won't get there. So it's important to understand uh, what those things are. So again, ministry tasks, and it, it's about thinking and leaning into the tasks as like things that God is doing to, again, develop you, help you understand your giftedness, help you understand that. Some of the ministry tasks you're going to fail in. It's part of the process. <laughs> because you're learning what you're not gifted in. And that, that's important. Newsflash, you're not gifted in everything. And it's important that you know what God has gifted you in and what he has not gifted in you in. That's critical. And the only way you learn that, <laughs> we'll talk about some other ways, but one of the primary ways is by trial and error. And you're going to get some of it wrong. And so don't beat yourself up when you get it wrong. You, you don't, you're never meant to have all the gifts. You're not. You just, none of us are. Why? Because God intentionally wants you to be dependent on him and interdependent on others. That's why he put us in a body <laughs> with different gifts. But I know, at least for me, like every time in ministry, especially when I was in these early phases, when I couldn't do something right, I'd beat myself up because I had that expectation. You guys probably never felt this, but when you're in ministry that you're supposed to do everything perfect. Like you're supposed to counsel, preach, teach, administrate, do finances, small groups, youth, children. All of that you're supposed to be at 100%. No, you can't. You won't be. You can't be. They want you to be. <laughs> and people aren't okay with the fact that 
you're gifted in a certain way and not gifted in another way. But what they want doesn't matter. What they think doesn't matter. So a lot of those failures are meant to teach you to refine what you're good at. The other thing that can happen in the 2B phase is this stuff. Like, again, ministry skills where the leader sees God leading in each skill learned. And will the leader maintain the posture and attitude of a learner? Will you continue to learn? Um, there's, one of the, there's a little saying I really like that if you stop learning today, you stop teaching tomorrow. So if you don't have a growth edge as a leader, you're not going to lead very far. <laughs> So will you continue to have that humble attitude? Training experience. This is a, an experience that gives affirmation that God will use the leader in the future. That that often comes in here. Will you take advantage of those? Will you show humility that you need to be trained? That you don't know everything? Sometimes we, we act like, we feel like pastors are supposed to know everything, right? And we feel that pressure. So, so we don't want to admit by going to training that we don't know something. And giftedness discover. This is so important. Uh, Will you discover, use, and develop your giftedness? And what we mean by giftedness, what Clinton means by giftedness, is your, your spiritual gifts, your natural ability, and your acquired skills. All of them come from God. It's just some of them are more obviously from God, like spiritual gifts. But your natural abilities are from him. Your acquired skills that he sovereignly has put in your life, all of those are from him. And when Clinton will talk about your giftedness, he means all three of those packaged together. And actually, a big part of your development as a leader is coming to understand what that gift mix is. And you're not going to understand that at 24. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know we put too much pressure on ourselves. You're just not going to know it. And you have to be OK with the fact that you're not going to know it. Now, if you're 55 and don't know it, that, that's another issue. Like, that should be something you need to work on, like, immediately. But if you're 25, it's OK. You don't need to know this yet. You will figure it out. God will lead you. Um, so um, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. and give, We can't really even in this class deal with giftedness. There's so much that Clinton does. He has, the, in my opinion, the absolute best stuff on giftedness discovery as it relates to leadership. You've had the giftedness stuff before, probably in different classes and stuff. Mm -hmm. Nobody develops it like he does as it relates to leaders. Like, it's, it's primo the best stuff. But that would take two hours just on that. Is that a different book? Or is that... um, it, it, there is a book that he's written on that. Do you know the name? Um, I believe, uh, not off the top of my head. But I want to say this about the book. It's not, it's, uh, not written for, it's not slick. <laughs> it's not written with marketing in mind. It's literally the best stuff on there. But it wasn't written with an editor who's trying to sell books. <laughs> so, I don't know if that makes any sense or not. It's not an easy read. It's not, yeah, it's not an easy read. Um, so this is how typically what he found that God uses to develop your sense of your giftedness. Um, your ministry experiences, a discovery of giftedness. Then you increase in use of those giftedness. And then you have effectiveness in the gifted use. And then you discover other giftedness. And then you identify a mix of gifts that fit together. Then you develop what he calls a gift cluster, and then it's convergence. So it, it's a very, it's a long process that takes a number of years. But at the end of it, you have an incredible sense of like how God has gifted you. And that 
will match what he wants you to do. So many times we try to do everything. We're not meant to do everything. And we're, we're, God, in the end, is going to fine-tune your ministry down to a focal point. Yes. And it's going to match the giftedness he has planned to put into your life. And so most of what we have to do is discernment about what that is. And, and uh, again, that's what, that's what um, Clinton has material to help talk about that. So there's, you know, questions to think about in this area is like, um, again, a lot of the benefit of this is when you go back and reflect on it and even talk about it with someone. You know, what was a ministry challenge you accepted that God used to grow you as a leader? Um, and then this is an interesting question to think about. What challenges have you used to attract and develop other leaders? So part of this is about you being developed. Part of this is if you're a leader, how do you develop other people? And you realize that you develop people through giving them ministry challenges. That most of what we learn, we actually learn by doing. You know, 70 plus percent. And so you have to, like if you're a senior leader especially, you have to learn to think of it not in terms of I'm giving the staff person a job to do so they do it well and I'll get down on them when they don't. I'm giving them a ministry assignment so they can be developed. And they're not going to get it right, but we're going to sit and talk about it for the sake of their development. Now I know about you, but that was not the attitude when I was on a church staff. <laughs> I never got a ministry assignment from any of my lead pastors. It was about developing me. I always got ministry assignments that were about getting the job done. So if you're a lead pastor, this is a change of philosophy. Because you know what? They're not going to do it as good as you and you might take flack for it. But their development's critical. And as you get to like focused ministry and convergent ministry later on, you realize that part of God's plan, I don't care what your ministry focus is, is always going to be about developing the next generation. Always. Because it's not about you, remember? <laughs> not about you. It's hard to do, trust me. Like, I've had, to do, you know, I've had to give ministry assignments to my staff that I know they won't do as well as I would. And I know that they're going to make mistakes. And I know that some people in the church are going to complain that I'm giving them that job. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Because it's not about pleasing them. So, um, so how are you doing that? Like, in what ways could you do that? That you start to see ministry tasks differently. That it's not about getting the job done, it's about developing people. And that's a shift because we usually think the main thing is getting the job done. That's not the main thing. <laughs> the main thing is cooperating with God to develop people.